you would, take your Bibles and turn to Judges. you're here this morning and you don't have a Bible, we have plenty of extra ones in the back. If you need one, you'll lift your hand up. I'm sure Mike will get one to you. That's our gift to you if you need that. Have you ever seen a big city marathon? Have you ever watched one of those? Uh, Something like the Boston Marathon, the New York City Marathon. It's interesting to see 20,000 plus participants line up on the line and, and prepare to run the race. Before long, the gun fires and the race has begun. And it isn't too long before you notice that several runners, after a couple of minutes, begin to make their way to the front and they kind of put the distance between them and the rest of the crowd. And they make their way up right to near the front. Such was the case in one particular race when one man pushed his way far ahead of the next closest contender. And by, by before long, it wasn't real long before he had set himself up as just being a, an extravagant athlete. And as, he, as the race went on, I mean, he put a, just a ton of distance between him and his closest contenders. But something happened near the end of the race, uh, not really sure what, what to attribute it to, but he fell and found himself in a daze, unable to go anymore. And this distance that he had accumulated throughout the course of the race has begun to get shorter and shorter and shorter. And before long, the first man passed him. And a couple minutes later, a second passed him. And it was about that time that he began to come to his senses. And all of a sudden, he was able to get up and cross the line in third place. You know... This race, I believe, is very picturesque of the Christian life. Some runners, some Christians, they start out well, but they don't finish well. Some of them, unfortunately, don't finish at all. Sometimes they abandon the race. They say, it's too hard. There's too, it's too complicated. It's, it's, uh, you know, I don't understand it. You know, for any number of reasons, they either get distracted or they don't finish well or they don't finish at all. Galatians chapter 5, verse 7 asks a question. It says, you were running well. Who prevented you from obeying the truth? You were running well. There's a past tense idea there that, there that there's a reality that you started out strong. You started out going very, very much with all your energy and effort, but something happened whereby you had to stop or slow down or maybe not even finish. Sometimes it's circumstances. Beyond your control, maybe there are circumstances from your control. Maybe there are failures that you've experienced and gone through. Maybe there are misunderstandings between you and other believers. Uh, Sometimes it's selfishness and pride. But all these things can cause you and hinder you to not run well. And I think sometimes we need to understand that there is a snare to success. And sometimes our mindset can get us in a snare of thinking we're better than we are, we're doing better than what we are actually doing, and if we're not careful, we can get caught in a snare. So that's what I want to talk about this morning is the snare of success. You know, Gideon was one of those men who experienced some of those early successes in life, but with success, he turned away from the goal. 
And I think we all know people like that. We can look back in the, our sphere of influence and the friendships that God has given to us, and we look back and we say, well, where's where so-and-so? They used to be in church. They used to be walking with God. They used to be here, but they're no longer here. What happened to them? You know, they started off well, but they are somewhere in the distance now, if anywhere. Gideon was one of those men who started off. He experienced some early success. Gideon did not start out with great enthusiasm, just waiting to see what God would do in his life, though. He started off a little bit fearful, as maybe some of you did. But look back to Israel's condition when God was beginning to prepare Gideon for the special task of leading. And we find those in the first ten verses of Judges chapter 6. So if you would, Judges chapter 6, I want to look at the first ten verses, and we can see the condition of Israel during this time. The Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord handed them over to Midian seven years. If we stop right there, is, is, is Israel in a good place or a bad place? They're in a bad place. They're doing what is evil in the sight of God. And so something has to be done. We know this is during the period of the judges. And Gideon was the next person who was getting ready to be used of God to do what he needed to do. So we see as we read on here, verse 2 says this, And they oppressed Israel. Because of Midian, the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the Kenites came and attacked them. I mean, it's like they couldn't even get started because they were under the judgment of God. And God was saying, wait a minute, you can't keep doing this. So we go on to verse 4. It says, They encamped against them and destroyed the produce of the land, even as far as Gaza. They left nothing for Israel to eat, as well as no sheep, ox, or donkey. For the Midianites came with their cattle and their tents like great swarms of locusts. They and their camels were without number, and they entered the land to waste it. So Israel became poverty-stricken because of Midian, and the Israels cried out to the Lord. And isn't it amazing that when things are going good, what do we need God for? But when all of a sudden the oppression comes and the hand of God is against them, then all of a sudden they're crying out to God. And verse 7 says, When the Israelites cried out to him because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to them. He said to them, This is what the Lord God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Egypt and out of the place of slavery. I delivered you from the power of Egypt and the power of all who oppressed you. I drove them out before you and you gave and gave you their land. I said to you, I am Yahweh, your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites, whose land you live in, but you did not obey me. So they are suffering the consequences of their choices, right? And you see that those consequences were very, very great. It was like they, they couldn't get a start. It was like their land was taken from them. Their crops were taken from them. Their land was beaten down. And the enemy came in and just overtook them. And in this moment, they're remembering. God is bringing something to the remembrance. It it wasn't not too long ago that we brought you out of Egypt. I got you away from the oppressors. I gave you your own land. And I said, don't fear the other gods of the people that are in your land. But you did not obey me. So now they are suffering the consequences of their choices. And I know that even in today's culture... There are a lot of people who want the blessings of God, but they don't want to be obedient to God. And it doesn't work that way. You can't expect God to have his hand of blessing upon you if you are going to continuously live in sin and not obey God. It doesn't work that way. But that's what our culture wants. We want all the blessings, 
We don't want to give any of the obedience. So God is raising up a man to come in and to try to work with him once again. And we see um, the condition of Gideon as God begins to call on his life. And we see that in verse 11 through 20. So the angel of the Lord came and he sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezite. And his son Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine vats in order to hide it from the Midianites. I mean, here he is. I mean, he, there, I mean, no bones about it. He's out here making grape juice, wine, whatever it was. And he's doing it in secret because if it's in the open, the Midianites are going to come take it. So he's hiding, in essence, when God begins to work in his life. So, verse 12, Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And isn't it amazing that God calls him a mighty warrior when he's what? Hiding. And yet, it's an amazing thing. It's one of those things we don't fully understand in scriptures. Even David was called a man of God's own heart after the continuous areas of sin that he gave into. Why? Because he repented. But God has a way with saying, I've got my hand on somebody. And so he says, mighty warrior. Gideon said to him, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? And where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about? They said, hasn't the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to Midian. So what he was failing to, to understand and what we often fail to understand is that we still want those blessings without obedience. And it doesn't work that way. So he said, if God is really here, if God is really with us, why are we under the hand of the Midianites? It's really simple. Because you chose not to obey. And when you make that choice, it comes with its own set of consequences. And so Gideon is not getting the connect here between the disobedience and the hand of God not on them right now. So verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and deliver Israel from the power of Midian. Am I not sending you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Look, my family is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. But I will be with you, the Lord said to him. You will strike Midian down as if it were one man. Now think about this. Just stop right there. Don't read on just yet. But you get an idea of what's happening. He says, I want you to go. I've called you a mighty warrior, and I'm going to use you to overturn the Midianites. Well, that can't be, God. Don't you know I'm the weakest of all the family members? I mean, I, I, no, I can't do this. And, and Gideon is failing once again to realize something. God has spoken, and God has said, I've got a plan, and my plan involves using you to do what I want accomplished. So twice he says, I'm going to go with you. I am with you. Let's remember that. Anytime God calls us to something, we need to understand that he is with us. So the reality is here, he's not quite getting it just yet. But he's being told and being reminded. And he said, you will take down the Midianites as if it were one man. I have to imagine just for a moment, maybe I'm wrong, but I have to imagine just for a moment that Gideon is probably not a little weakling here. He called him a mighty warrior. I have to imagine in my mind's eye that maybe he was a little bit of a brute, maybe a little bit of strength. He's working down in a wine vat. I mean, he's, he's pressing the grapes. He's probably not a, a weakling, so to speak. But to be able to say, listen, I am going to let you take them down as one. So God says, I am going to use you. So he says, verse 16, but I will be with you. Verse 17, then he said to him, if I have found favor in your sight... 
Give me a sign that you are speaking with me. Please do not leave this place until I return to you. Let me bring my gift and set it before you. And he said, I will stay until you return. So this is where I think in my mind, Gideon begins to make a little bit of a turn. He says, I'm not going to go until I hear. I want you to just think about this for a moment. I'm not going to leave until I hear back from you. Just let that sink in for a minute. Last week, we talked about the circumstances and situations that God allows into our lives to get our attention. And there's times that we go through those periods of of struggle and disappointment and frustration. And God is trying to get our attention. And He's saying, now that i got your attention, what are you going to do with this? And so sometimes we call our friends and get their opinions, their advice, and what they have to say about what's going on. Sometimes we blab it on Facebook for the world to find out all of our faults and frustrations. Crazy. But when's the last time we said, we're going to get on our knees, and we're not leaving until God speaks? Think about that. Let that sink in just for a moment. He says, I want to know, God, do I truly have your favor, or am I just dreaming all this stuff up? Is the presence of the Lord really here, or is it just something that's in my mind? I'm not leaving until I hear from you. When's the last time we had that conversation with God? Let's be honest. Because most of us are far too impatient to get to that point. We're far too impatient. We want an immediate answer to an immediate struggle right now. I don't know about you, but I like the immediate. I mean, I have to be honest. I'm on a little bit of a journey right now with my weight. You all know this, right? I mean, I'm not, I, I turn sideways, you still see me. I'm not skinny. Just saying. So for me, I have struggled most of my adult life with weight. And I struggle and I fight against it. And I, I, I like food, but I struggle to lose weight. And there's a lot of days where I just want to say, skip this, man. That looks so good. I'm going to eat it. Right? Why not? I'm down 30 pounds right as of Friday. So the bottom line is, man, I got a little bit of wiggle room. I can have a cheat day. Right? But here's what God keeps reminding me of. It didn't get on there overnight, and it's not going to come off overnight. It's the long haul that's good for us, right? So the bottom line is we can't just expect an immediate reaction to a life of sinfulness. So the bottom line is we have to get on our face before God and determine that we are going to keep serving and obeying God. And that's a long-term race. A long-term race. And he says, I'm not going to move until I hear from you. I don't know about you, but those are some strong words. What a reminder that all of us need to heed. That when we're going through it, and we may think that God's leading us a certain direction, get on your face and say, God, I need to know. Is this you? Give me confirmation. Give me a scripture. Give me a confirmation through another friend, another person that, that that understands it but don't give up don't expect an immediate answer sometimes god god does do that but sometimes he doesn't but don't be impatient and walk away before god has an opportunity to work we go on here and the verse 18 says i will stay until you return so Gideon went and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from a half bushel of flour 
He placed the meat in a basket and in the broth of pot. He brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat with the unleavened bread and put it on the stone and pour the broth on it. And he did so. The angel of the Lord extended the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread. Fire came from the rock and consumed the meat and unleavened bread. Then the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Stop right there for a minute again. Just another little practical application of this. When we get a word that God says, do this, it probably means what? Do it. It's the, the proverbial illustration of someone who comes into the counselor and says, I've got all these problems, and the counselor says, here's what you need to do, and they walk out and do something completely opposite. It's a waste of time. But here what you see in Gideon and God working in his life is that when he was told to do something, he did it. Amazing how that works. So he does it. And God brought down fire and consumed it. So verse 22, when Gideon realized that he was the angel of the Lord, he said, oh no, Lord God, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. I mean, he is awestruck with this idea that this was God's messenger right there in front of him. And, but the Lord said to him, Peace to you, don't be afraid, for you will not die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it Yahweh Shalom. It's an offering of Israelites until today. So what we begin to see that all the way through verse 24, that God is beginning to work in Gideon's life. And Gideon is beginning to understand that this is God speaking to him. And he's got some decisions to make. So what we find in the next couple of verses here in is really in verses 25 through 32, you see Gideon's first steps of obedience. So what happens here? Well, let's look at verse 25. On that very night, the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull and a second bull seven years old and tear down the altar of Baal that belongs to your father and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Build a well-constructed altar to the Lord your God on the top of this rock. Take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down. So Gideon took ten of his male servants and did as the Lord had told him. Because he was too afraid of his father's household and the men of the city do it in the daytime, he did it at night. Now stop right there just for a minute. Once again, get in your mind's eye the story that's what's taking place here. I want you to go down and cut the altars of Baal. I want you to take, her, take down the Asherah poles. And I want you to build a couple of altars. In fact, you're not just going to take down the astral poles. Those, that, those, those poles are going to be the very wood that you're going to use to consume the altar. Now, I don't know about you, but I've heard all kinds of stories about this in my lifetime. Gideon, he was, he was weak. He was afraid. He did it at night because he was out of fear. You know what I see? He did it. You can judge how he did it, but he did it. He did what God told him to do, right? He took down the poles and, and he built the altars. And what did God say? He said, you're not going to die. I guarantee you he felt like he was going to die. I mean, you don't just go messing with someone's gods, right? And don't be too critical because we have gods too. And anybody, anybody messes with them, you get a little upset, right? I mean, I got my car, I got my hobby, I got my relationship, I got my this, that, the other thing. We have our gods. And anytime somebody tries to mess with it, we get a little bit upset, right? Let's be honest. But he didn't. He did what he was told. But we find something that happens here. So he tore down the altars of the false gods. 
And uh, we see this right, right away in the beginning. So, verse 28. When the men of the city got up in the morning, they found Baal's altar torn down, and the Asherah pole beside it cut down, and the second bull offered up on the altar that had been built. And they said to each other, Who did this? After they made through the, a thorough investigation, they said, Gideon, son of Joash, did it. Now Gideon's got this nice-sized bullseye right on his head. I mean, anybody want to take... You know, take up the sandals at this point and kind of step in for Gideon. I mean, everybody's favorite buddy right now, right? No. He's got a bullseye. So here's what happens. The men of the city said, verse 30, Joash, bring out your son. He must die. Because he tore down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Would you plead Baal's case for him? Would you save him? Whoever pleads his case will be put to death by morning. If he is God, let him plead his own case before someone tore down his altar. Or because someone tore down his altar. And that day Gideon's father called him Jerubbabel, saying, let Baal plead his case with him because he tore down his altar. What did he say here? So his father comes and stands up and makes his case. He says if he's really a God, if Baal is really strong, if he's really there, if he really has ears to hear and eyes to see and knows what's going on, he'll defend himself. And my son will be dead by morning. But what did God already say? You're not going to die. God says, I got your back. And here's what I find in my life, is that anytime God asks me to do something, he's there. He's there with me. He's given me the strength that I need to go on. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And that's what we need to understand is that every step of the journey that God has for us, He's there with us. He doesn't leave us. So then we find out that something else happens here. Gideon lays out a fleece. It says, All the Midianites, verse 33, the Amalekites and the Ketamites and gathered together, crossed over the Jordan and camped at the valley of Jezreel. The Spirit of the Lord took control of Gideon, and he blew the ram's horn, and the Abyssalites rallied behind him. He sent messengers throughout all the Manasseh, who rallied behind him. He also sent messengers throughout Asher, Zebulon, and Naphtali, who also came to meet him. Then Gideon said to God, If you will deliver Israel by my hand, as you said, I will put a fleece of wool here on the threshing floor. If dew is only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, I will know that you will deliver Israel by my strength, as you said. And that is what happened. When he got up early in the morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung a dew out of it, filling a bowl with water. And Gideon then said to God, Don't be angry with me. Let me speak one more time. Please allow me to make one more test with the fleece. Let it remain dry and the dew be all over the ground. That night God did as Gideon requested, only the fleece was dry and the dew was all over the ground. And once again, I hear all kinds of aspects of the story. Well, he didn't trust God. He, he was a fleece guy. I don't know about you, but I like fleeces. There have been many times in my life where I said, God, if you're in this, can you give me a sign? And God has done it or he's not done it. And the reality is there's lots of wisdom in saying, God, I want to make sure that this is just not, you know, and, you know, indigestion in my stomach thinking through my brain. I want to know that you're really speaking. I want to know that. I, I applaud Gideon for this because there is no doubt, no room for speculation here that God was going to use him. 
So we see that he lays out his fleece and God answers. And this is the part that I don't really understand with God. I, I've said this many times. You've heard me explain this. But if I'm going to battle, I want the biggest gun. I want the sharpest knife. I want the fastest jet with the biggest bombs. Right? I mean, is that just normal? If we're going to go, we want to win, right? I mean, that's just kind of a given concept. There's something in this story I don't really fully get, but hey, God's got his reasons, and I'm going to ask him about it someday. We find something unique. So there's this first steps of obedience. He tore down the altars. He lays out the fleece. And then number three, he shapes an army of 32,000 men to an army of 300. I did not know you could have too many men in battle. I mean, that blows my mind. I, I want, hey, more the merrier, right? I want lots of guys, lots of soldiers, lots of footmen. But Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and everyone who was with him, got up early and camped beside the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them, below the hill of Morah in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many people for me to hand the Midianites over to you. Or else Israel might break. I did it myself. So he's got a reason here, right? He says, if you go in with that many people, you're just going to simply say that you have so many, they just overpowered us. Well, we don't want anybody to think that it was in your might. So let's, hey, you got too many. Verse 3, now announce the presence of the people. Whoever is fearful and trembling may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 of the people turned back, but 10,000 remained. So, okay, we just got rid of 22,000 people. What in the world are we thinking? More the merrier. But God says, no, I want people to see that it was me that was doing it. So now he's left with 10,000. Verse 4, then the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many people. Whoa. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. If, you say, if I say to you, this one can go with you, and he can go. But if I say about anyone, this one cannot go with you, he cannot go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Separate everyone who laps water with him with his tongue like a dog. Do the same with everyone who kneels to drink. The number of those who lapped with their hands in their mouths was 300 men. And all the rest of the people knelt to drink water. The Lord said to Gideon, I will deliver you with the 300 men who lapped and had lapped and hand the Midianites over to you. But everyone else is to go home. So Gideon sent all Israels to their tents, but kept 300 who took the people's provisions and their trumpets, and the camp of Midian was below them in the valley. I don't know about you, but God does some things, as we said last week. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways, for his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. That's not how I do it. I'm just saying. I mean, it's a good thing God doesn't always do things the way we want him to do it because his way is better than our way, right? We, we've learned that, right? So we know the story. He goes into battle with pitchers and trumpets. No guns, no spears, no shields. Trumpets and pitchers of light. And God hands over the Midianites. See, here's what I've learned over my young years is that when God tells us to do something, we just need to step out in faith and do it. It's the best result because he said, I'll never leave you, nor forsake you. And what he says will happen. What he says will take place will take place. The question is, do I trust him? Do I trust him? So we see his first steps of obedience. Now we see, secondly, his first steps in the wrong direction. 
I mean, this is a great thing that has happened with Gideon, right? I mean, wow, he's overturned the Midianites. I mean, Gideon is now our hero. Be careful, because with success, there are many traps and snares. And we find that in verse 22 going on. Then the Israelites said to Gideon, Rule over us, you as well as your sons and your grandsons, for you delivered us from the power of Midian. So, I mean, what a great privilege, right? I mean, he shows himself as this great man of valor. I mean, this mighty warrior has come forth, and he's done what God told him to do. And, and all the people, you'll rule over us, you, your family, your sons and their sons. And boy, we just want to give everything to you, Gideon. And Gideon had a little bit of wisdom here, because he said there uh, in the next verse, um, uh, verse 23, But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Sounds so spiritual, right? I mean, I can't do this. I can't do this. My kids are not going to do this. It sounds good, right? But in essence, I won't be your king, but I'll be your priest. I mean, that sounds good, right? I mean, it sounds noble. sounds spiritual. The Lord's going to rule over you. He'll take care of you. And we see that he begins to not only turn the people down for being king, but he appointed himself to be the priest. And so he begins to make this ephod out of all the earrings and the spoils of all the land that they've overcome. And begins to set up, even though he's saying God is in control, he's acting as if he's in control. And we find out, verse 28, So Midian was subdued before the Israelites, and they were no longer a threat, and the land was peaceful uh, during the days of Gideon. And Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, son of Joash, went back to, to live at his house. And Gideon had seven sons, 70 sons, his own offspring, since he had many wives. And his concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son and named him Abimelech. Again, Gideon, son of Joash, died at a ripe old age and was buried in the tomb of his father Joash and Ophrah of the Abizarites. So here's the issue. He's doing his own thing. He's taken on wives and more wives and children and more children, and he's set himself up to be the priest of the people. There's only one problem. He's not from a priestly line. He had no business making himself the priest. In fact, we find out in the passages below that he, he took off all the spoils, he made an ephod, and he didn't even follow the rules for making the ephod correctly. He made a nice-looking ephod, it's covered with gold and you know, precious material. He started doing things his own way. We need to be careful that as God directs our paths, and we walk in obedience to Him, that we don't get the big head. That God is still in control. And we can act all spiritual and still be miles apart with our heart. And I think this is what was happening to Gideon here. So he started taking some steps in the wrong direction. People expected him to be king. He said, no, nah, I won't be your king, but I'll be your priest. When he had no business to do that. And Gideon really committed three mistakes. He failed to follow God's plan for priests. For priests were to be of the tribe of Levite and of the line of Aaron. He had no business. He had no position, no authority to make himself a priest. His second mistake was this. that He used the wrong material for making the ephod. He did not follow God's plan for the ephod. And then number three, God placed it, or Gideon placed the temple in Ophah rather than in Shiloh. He says, I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. You know, it's called shortcuts. We have to be careful that we don't give God shortcuts. 
that we do what God wants us to do. You know, partial obedience is what? Full. Say it again. Disobedience. Partial obedience is full disobedience. Because you can't just obey halfway and say, I'm walking in obedience. Right? So parents, when you tell your kids to clean their room and they pick up three things, but there's still 27 others on the floor, partial obedience is full disobedience. You didn't finish the job. So when God tells us to do something, we do it halfway. Whether it's the give of our time. Well, I'll give God, you know, God, God says, I want you to do this. Well, I don't really have time for that, but I'll give you a little bit. God says, I don't want a little bit. I want this much. We give God partial. It's a shortcut. And partial, diso- partial obedience is full disobedience. So when God says, I want to give you of your talents, you've got talents that I could use for the kingdom. And you say, well, God, I don't really have time. I don't really, you know, I'm not really good. You know, it's, you know, and we make it all about ourselves and what we think we have to bring, to, what we have to offer to the table. But God, I don't really have time to do that, but I'll give this much. Partial obedience is full disobedience. Right? And God says, I want you to give of your treasure. And we give this much, and God's saying, I want you to give this much. Well, partial obedience is full disobedience. So whatever the case may be, our time, our talents, our treasures, or whatever it is that God has entrusted to us, whatever he has for us to do with them, partial obedience is full disobedience because we haven't followed fully what God has asked us to do. We need to be careful there. So Gideon's taking shortcuts. Rather than have the rightful priest, he said, I'll make myself one. And rather than making the ephod the correct way, I'm going to make it the way I want to do it. And rather than keeping the, uh, the, the temple in Shiloh, I'm going to move to Ophrah, because that's, that's why I'm going to make a shortcut. God doesn't deserve shortcuts. God deserves our full obedience. You know, there's an illustration that I heard years ago that I think is kind of adequate. In order to catch a monkey, men would make a small hole in either a pumpkin or a coconut. They would hollow it out, and they would put candy or little treats in there. But they would chain that coconut or that pumpkin to a tree so that a monkey could not run off with it. But the interesting thing is that that monkey would come, and he'd stick his hand down in there, and he would grab a handful of that candy, those treats, whatever smelled good was in there. And all of a sudden, he was trapped because as he pulled stuff out his hand will get trapped in the hole now you and I both know that the solution to get away is really simple right all you have to do is let go but a monkey doesn't have the sense to say I gotta let go so I can get away and so you find that they were trapped because they wanted the candy the goods the treats that were inside that pumpkin or that coconut you know The escape was so simple. But sometimes we have our eye on what we want. And if we're not careful, getting to the treat can become the very thing that destroys us. You know, Gideon fought hard in the beginning. But once he accomplished the task, his focus is as if it were went off God and onto himself and his family. He was trapped. He was in the snare. So we see his first steps of obedience. We see his first steps in the wrong direction. Now you see his final steps to his downfall. And we see that in verse 27. Gideon made Nephi from all this and put it in Ophrah, his hometown. Then all 
All Israel, look at this word, prostituted themselves with it there. And it became a snare to Gideon and his household. You see, he's taking steps that's going to lead to his downfall. Um, you see this verse 29 and following. He took on wives and more children. And here's what you find out. Verse 33. When Gideon died, the Israelites turned and prostituted themselves with the Baals and made Baal Berberith their God. And the Israelites did not remember the Lord their God who had delivered them from the power of the enemies around them. They did not show kindness to the house of Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, for all the good he had done for Israel. Let's go back to the beginning of chapter 6, verse 1. Remember that verse? The Israelites did what was, what? Evil in the sight of the Lord. God brought Gideon onto the scene to turn things around. But in the end, because Gideon took his focus off God, we find out that in verse 35 of chapter 8, they did not show kindness. The house of Jerubbabel, the, the Gideon that is, for all the good he had done, they began to take their focus off God. Folks, we need to be careful that we are choosing to be faithful and obedient to the end. You see, every choice has consequences. And oftentimes we have an input into the choice. But we don't always have input into the consequence. Right? And we find out that Gideon's consequences were severe. They were harsh. Remember that one other son he had, Abimelech? What did he end up doing? Remember all those 70 sons that Gideon had? He went in and killed them all. It's amazing what pride and selfishness will do in the heart of man. And once again, we can look back and say, you made a choice. Now you have to deal with the consequence. Folks, all of us have choices every day. Are we going to serve God or serve self? Are we going to live for others or live for self? Put God first or put ourselves first? Every one of us has choices that we can make. But you have to also know, we're not free to choose the consequences of those. Some of them may have wonderful consequences. Some of them may be ones that we would never choose. The snare in Gideon's life was that he took his focus off God and put it on himself and his family. It's a bad place to be. We need to get back to keeping our focus on God. When God tells us to do something, we follow through in obedience and in humility and see what God will do with that. Let's pray.